Church, how about you take your seats? Might seem a strange song to sing on Easter Sunday, but the wonder of the resurrection stands out because of the contrast to, to the events of Good Friday and Jesus on the cross. The, the celebration, the rejoicing is all the greater because in, that, in that contrast. But let me ask this morning, who had chocolate for breakfast? Actually, I didn't. I, I was good. But who, how, how many hands? Uh, there's only a few. I am seriously surprised. Just our family. All right, yeah. <laughs> I was barely out of bed before one of our rabbits had lost its ears. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, I'm surprised that more of you haven't though because today is actually the only day I reckon that it's socially acceptable to eat chocolate for breakfast. I mean, you can't even do that on Christmas. Like, what other day can you get away with eating chocolate for, for breakfast? Birthday, you reckon? Uh, maybe. Mondays. Tuesdays. Yeah, just... <laughs> the reason, though, we do eat chocolate for breakfast on Easter Sunday is because whether we really understand it or not, we know that today is a day of, of joy and of celebration. And what... Better, better way to commemorate that than hyping ourselves up on a sugar hit. But why is this the case? Why, why does Easter Sunday have this sense of joy about it? It's because Sunday is the day that we realize that Jesus really is alive. And that's a reason to celebrate because it means that death is not the end. If you weren't with us on Friday as we, as we gathered then, or even if you were but just need the reminder, we're taking time to work through this story of two of Jesus' followers, a guy named Cleopas and then his friend, who, who we don't know what his name is. But they were working, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's this walk of about 11 kilometers, a bit over. And they were doing it on the Sunday. And as they were walking, they were talking over and over the events of the last few days. They were talking over Jesus' arrest, his trial, his, his execution, his death and his burial. But also in the mix were, was this conversation around the fact, that this strange report that some women had come back from the tomb saying that it was empty and that even that angels had spoken to them and told them that, that Jesus was alive. But how could that be? I mean, that, that makes no sense. And you know, maybe in their grief, they were just so overcome that they went to the wrong tomb. Or maybe they just imagined that they saw Jesus or, or something. But Cleopas and his friends, they were sad and lost and bewildered. And in this state, I, I can't imagine that they were power walking to, to amaze. They were, they were not walking very fast. And so as they're going along... A third person catches up to them and joins in with their group. And he asks them, what are you talking about? What's got you so upset and distressed? Well, they seem surprised that this person hasn't heard what's going on in Jerusalem. And so they give a brief recount of, of Jesus' crucifixion and how all their hopes about who he was and what he was going to achieve, all those hopes had just been dashed as he died on that cross. And so in response then, this third person who we're told is Jesus, but, but they don't recognize him yet. This person works through the scriptures to show them that the Messiah, God's promised Savior and King, who they thought Jesus was, that, 
the Messiah actually must first suffer and only then enter into all of his glory. In other words, he shows them that if Jesus really is the one that they were hoping for, then his suffering and death was actually necessary. And then, after a few hours of walking and talking together, we're going to pick up the story. And it's in Luke chapter 24, and it's on the screen. It says, at this point, they came to the edge of the village where they were headed. So remember, Cleopas and his friend were heading to Emmaus. Jesus has joined them. They've arrived at the edge of the village. And Jesus acted as if he were going to go on. But they pressed him, stay and have supper with us. As nearly evening, the, the day is done. So he went in with them. And here is what happened. He sat down at the table with them. Taking bread, he blessed and broke and gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him and he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road as he opened the scriptures for us? Well, they didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. You feel the joy and the excitement, don't you? Yeah, as they all come back together and they're sharing this news that they've got. The disciples who stayed in Jerusalem, they've got their own experience of seeing the resurrected Jesus, their own sense of joy and hope that overcomes their earlier despair. And then Cleopas and his friend, they come barging in and to tell their news of how they have spent hours on the road talking with him and then just finally recognized him and finally recognized who they'd been spending all their time with. Now notice the contrast in the journeys that these two men took. As they walked away from Jerusalem, they were dejected and despondent. They were walking slowly a road of despair and discouragement and disappointment, a road of confusion and bewilderment because Jesus was dead and all that they had hoped for was dead with him. But their return journey, it was utterly different. I mean, they practically ran the road that time. It's the same road, but at the same time, it's a very different road for this trip. Now it's a road of hope and of joy and of excitement and enthusiasm. I mean, have you ever had news that has just changed your experience, just turned things around for you like that? Maybe it was a cancer diagnosis of someone that you love only for their next appointment at the oncologist to, to reveal that when I mean, they've got no explanation for it. We don't know what's going on, but all sign of it is gone. Maybe it's a job that you really wanted, but you were unsuccessful in your application and, and you're really you know, bummed out about that until a month later, they ring you up to say that the person they did hire, they were terrible and they want you to come and fill the role. Maybe it's not even anything that dramatic. Maybe it's a lost car key when you're already running late and suddenly you find it. Maybe it's staring into an empty pantry only to have a knock on the door and there's a grocery delivery from someone who's gifted it to you. Maybe it's the kids hyped up on sugar, as may very well happen on a day like today, and yet miraculously 
they are still quiet and restrained enough for you to get in that nap that you so desperately need and that changes everything about the rest of the day. Maybe it's Jesus, the one who you would put all your hopes in to be the saviour and king that you were looking for, that you were longing for, that you were desperate for, who was dead and on a cross and then buried in a tomb. But then now he's resurrected and alive, talking with you as you walk along the road and whom you suddenly recognise as you sit down to eat. Suddenly, that road of despair that you've been on only moments before, it's now a road full of hope. That road of sorrow is now a road of joy. That road of death is now a road of life, life and more life because the resurrection means that death is not the end. Let's take a moment and pause here and let's sing and celebrate this fact, this fact that the resurrection means death is not the end. And we're going to praise God with a thousand hallelujahs as we sing now. So let's, uh, team, that, that's you guys, let's stand and let's sing together. Well, our story doesn't end, though, with just mere sightings of Jesus. It's not like we're looking for Wally. It's not like we're spotting a UFO. Jesus comes to his disciples again, and he comes into their midst now, giving them his ongoing presence among them. So let's, let's read on of what happens. While they were saying this, so, so they've all come together, they're all sharing their exciting news of having seen Jesus. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and he said, Peace be with you. Now they thought they were seeing a ghost and they were scared half to death. He continued with them though, Don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Uh, look me over from head to toe. A, do a ghost doesn't have this much muscle and bone like this. And as he said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. They still couldn't seem to believe what, what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. And he asked them, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish that they had cooked and he took it and ate it right before their eyes. Here's the incredible thing. From our vantage point, with our you know, modern, scientific, rationalistic uh, worldview, it's common enough for us to discount the truth of the resurrection. But here are a bunch of Jesus' closest friends, some of whom have already seen him alive, but now they are all literally in the presence of Jesus, and they're still freaking out. They still don't think it's real. They, they still think they're seeing a ghost. So regardless of, of your worldview, this is, this is a fantastical story that just seems so far beyond belief. And Jesus gets that. And so he says to them, look at me, touch me, listen to me, feed me, spend time with me, move about the city with me. He gives them proof after proof of the reality of his resurrected bodily aliveness. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. It's really me. I, I have the scars to prove it. Touch me. You know, a, a ghost isn't a, as solid as this. It doesn't have muscle and bone like I do. Do you have any food here? A, a ghost or a spirit doesn't need food or, or it pass kind of right through them being of different substances. But Jesus eats in front of them. 
and leftover fish, which sounds very unappealing. <laughs> As we'll read in a moment, he, he talks to them and teaches them presumably for an extended period of time. So they, they hear his voice, and it's the same voice that they've been listening to for three years. He will lead them through and out of the city and to Bethany. So he's not bound to a particular location. He's, he doesn't disappear in the light or in the dark, but he moves his very human body through you know, the, the, the geography, through the other crowds of people in the same way that they do. And one last thing, all this happens with multiple people over a period of time. Perhaps the sighting of the women earlier, perhaps that could have been a delusion brought on by grief. But how do you explain this now? How too do you explain that each of these, the 11 main disciples of Jesus would go to their deaths holding on to the claim that Jesus was in fact alive? And how would people, if they thought that Jesus really was still dead and that they were then just making up this story, how would, how would people be able to have such joy and like at the flick of a switch? As incredible as it may sound, it is more realistic and plausible to believe in the resurrection of Jesus than it is to believe that he's still in the tomb. It's like that phrase from the detective Sherlock Holmes. When you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. The resurrection, it might seem improbable and implausible, but it's the only possible explanation. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive. And with his resurrection, the disciples then have hope again. Let's read on in the story. And then he, so after having proved that he is really physically alive with them, he then says, Everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms have to be fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles in this way. He said, you can see how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations. Starting from here, from Jerusalem, you're the first to hear it and see it. You're the witnesses. And what comes next is very important. I am sending what my father promised to you. So stay here in the city until he arrives. Stay here until you're equipped with power from on high. He then led them out of the city over to Bethany. And raising his hands, he blessed them. And while blessing them, he took his leave, being carried up to heaven. And they were on their knees worshipping him. They returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. Yes. What a contrast to how they were feeling before the resurrection. I mean, on Friday, we read of Cleopas and his friend that they just, they just stood there, long-faced, mopey and dopey, like, like they had lost their best friend, because they had. But what's the description of them now? They returned to Jerusalem, bursting with joy. The resurrection of Jesus had made all the difference. And here's the great hope. 
The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference, not only for them back then, but for us today as well. Let's consider briefly a few ways that the resurrection changes the road that we're walking on, changes that road from one of despair to one of hope. And the first is something that I've already said a few times this morning, that the resurrection means death is not the end. Remember, Cleopas and his friend were in such despair because they thought Jesus was the one that they'd been hoping for, the one that God had promised to be the deliverer of his people. But Jesus ended up dead on a cross. He ended up buried in a, in a sealed stone tomb. It looked like that was the end of the story. And we have moments like those too, don't we? It looks like the end of the story. When your second marriage fails just like your first. When a drought sends your farm bankrupt. When you bust your knee bad at weekend sport and then can no longer work. When you have a stillbirth, when you try to come off your medication and, and you sink into a worse depression than ever before. We lose hope in these moments. We, we can't see the way forward. It looks like the story has ended and we're lost and we're despairing. And in this despair comes the resurrection that says death is not the end. Jesus is the one that they hoped for, specifically because he suffered and died. And his death made possible then the resurrection. So this is not to make light of anyone's experience, not at all. This is not to, to kind of paste a cliche over, over something that, that's serious and significant. But the resurrection means that God's plans are not thwarted. They might be confusing and bewildering. They might be painful and hard, but suffering is not the end. There is more to the story, and the resurrection of Jesus gives us that perspective and that hope. Some of you will already know, uh, but I think this is as good a time as any for, to let you know, our church family know that Margaret Summer passed away yesterday. Uh, if you'd known she'd had a battle with cancer over the last few years and she had hand, and hands had moved recently to, to Canberra to be with family. And her death is sad news, uh, undeniably. But from what Hands tells me, Margaret was not sad about it because she knew that death is not the end. She knew where she was going, that she's going to a place that Jesus has prepared for her. And so we grieve, yes, because there's no denying that, that loss. But we also rejoice because she's in the next chapter of the story that is better by far. The resurrection means that death is not the end. The resurrection means that God's plans are not thwarted and, and there is still hope of more. The resurrection gives us that. The resurrection also gives us hope because Jesus didn't just live to you know, a ripe old age and then you know, die again. But as we read in the passage, he was rather carried up to heaven. We've been reading this from, from the gospel according to Luke. But in the gospel written by, by Mark and other of his followers, it says, Then the master Jesus 
uh, after briefing them. He was taken up to heaven and he sat down beside God in the place of honor. Well, why does this give us hope? Because it means that Jesus can never die again, but lives forever at the right hand of God. And the writer to the Hebrews says that he's there from now into eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him. And he's always then on the job to speak up for them. Uh, another way to say is that he always lives to intercede for us. In other words, Jesus now lives forever to be an advocate before God for us. And this verse is speaking of that in the context of our sin. And so we sin and God looks on us and our sin and there's a part of him that wants to give judgment. But Jesus steps in front and says, no, no, hold on, back up because I've, I've already taken their sin on myself. I've taken their punishment. So you don't need to punish them anymore. You can now just have relationship with them because I've, I've done all that. And so he intercedes for us. He advocates for us in the context of, of our sin. But he also does it, I think it's consistent with the scriptures to say that he intercedes and advocates for us more generally too. That in our desperation and need, Jesus is right there to speak up for us, to add his prayers to ours if you like. And when God hears the voice of Jesus, he hears the voice of his beloved son who gave his life for us. And so he hears and he listens. This should give us confidence and hope. This is not a political comment by any means, but it's like having gone to school with the kids of Scott Morrison. But it's far, far better. And depending on your political view, it's far, 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 far better than that. But, but, it, but in, in that kind of case, you've got a friend on the inside. You've got direct access to the highest levels of power. That's what Jesus' resurrection does for us. He's ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us, and, and is an advocate on our behalf. We have a way straight to the Father through him. But in having gone to heaven, like so, so Jesus he lived his life, dead, buried, rose again, and he's now gone to heaven. And it's like, well, that's all very nice for him. But... I'm still here and I still have to live this messed up life in this messed up world. Why does he just get to flit off and escape all that and just abandon me to this? But Jesus hasn't abandoned us because he tells his friends, and we read this in the passage, he says, I'm sending to you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until he arrives, until you're equipped with power from on high. Now, we know from other scriptures that, that what Jesus is sending is the Holy Spirit, who's also known as the Spirit of Jesus, uh, and, that, and that Jesus sends his Spirit into the lives of his followers. So he's not abandoned us, but he's actually with us more than ever. Because think about this. On earth, Jesus may have had crowds of people around him, but in terms of really getting to spend time with him and really getting to know him, only a handful of people ever could. He had 12 disciples who he especially spent time with. And even of those 12, there was three he spent extra time with. So there's only ever a handful of people Jesus could ever really know and we know him. But by his spirit, he can be with all of us. And so Jesus ascends to heaven and lives at the right hand of the Father. 
But in one of the mysteries of God, not only has he ascended, but he also descends from heaven and now lives in the people who put their faith in him. And this gives us hope and joy in at least two ways. The first is that by the Spirit, we have the power of God to enable us to live a life with God, where we know God and to live a life that is pleasing to God. It's a power to do what we could not do on our own. Because if, if we could have done it on our own, then we wouldn't have needed Jesus to die. But Jesus had to die to save us from our sin because we, we couldn't live right with God. But now we have his spirit living within us, the spirit of Jesus who is making us more and more like Jesus as he, as he works his way out within us. And so by the spirit, we can live life with God, enabled and empowered by God to live a life that is increasingly pleasing to God. Secondly, having the Spirit within us, the Apostle Paul writes that the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little bit of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. Another translation says that the Spirit is a deposit that guarantees what is to come. In other words, the Spirit says that this life is not all that there is and that death is not the end. See, normally we would put down a deposit for something that we want to get, whether it's a car or a holiday or a house, solar panels, you know, even lay, lay buying at, you know, Kmart or, or whatever. We, we put down this deposit and by doing so, we're committing to paying the full price uh, along the way. We commit to the full purchase with the payment of the deposit. But this tells us that it's not us who's making the deposit. It's not us making this payment. It's God himself. Incredibly, God is committing himself to us. By giving us his spirit, he's committing himself to us receiving the full gift, which is the fullness of God himself. See, if God is the source and the sum total of all good things, if God is, by definition, the highest and the best good in all of creation or that we could ever imagine, then to be with Him for eternity is only something to look forward to. Now, eternal life, and you know, what we typically think of as, as heaven, it's not, despite what we may have been led to believe, sitting around on clouds playing harps after we die. Eternal life is about a life with God, a life that starts now because of Jesus and proceeds from here on into eternity. It's, a life, it's about a life with God in all of his glories and perfections, in our resurrected and perfected bodies you know, that Margaret's enjoying and experiencing now. We're in a place where there is no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more tears but where rather all things have been made new by Christ. And we long for this. In the busyness of our lives, we may be distracted from it, but in those quiet moments, we long for this. We know that this world and this life is broken and that it's not as it should be. And this hope, and so we have this hope for heaven. And this hope is not just a wishful thinking, but it's a definite anticipation because we've got his spirit within us to guarantee it. And because Jesus is alive. God's plans are not thwarted. 
and death is not the end. Jesus' resurrection proves this, and as it did for those first disciples, it leads us to worship. Because Jesus is alive, we have someone at the right hand of God interceding for us. We have his spirit promising us that all is going to be made right. And as we understand this, as we grasp more and more of it, and as we focus on this on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, it leads us to worship. So let's pray. And then let's sing together in worship of our risen Saviour, whom death could not hold. So let's, let's pray. Our oh, Lord God, we come to you on this Easter Sunday and we come with rejoicing and celebration. We come with joy and with hope because resurrection means that death is not the end. Oh, God, we, we glory in that. And we thank you for, for what it means for us that in all that we go through, your plans are still active and at work. They are not thwarted, but they are on track. We thank you that, that we then have an advocate, you know, Jesus Christ himself, right at your, your side to intercede for us. We, we have access to, to you directly through him. We have our way in. And we thank you for that. And we thank you then that in having gone, that we're not left abandoned. But instead, we have the spirit of Jesus to live in us and to help us live the life that we could never have lived by ourselves and to guarantee to us that there is yet more to come. There is more of you in all of your fullness and your glory. So God, today we want to thank you for, you, for the resurrection of Christ. We want to thank you for all that that means for us. We want to rejoice and celebrate in it and we want to worship you now. We do that with bursting with joy in our hearts. We worship you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's sing.